0: cheers everyone cheers, Salut. cheers guys. L'chaim. L'chaim. <laughs> <laughs> to uh to the release of a very interesting book written by our special guest bj dichter our um, producer and One also of our, producers. our producers yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, honking for freedom which is about the freedom convoy in canada that rocked the world it, it truly did rock the world and yeah. so uh, Tell us about the origins, actually, um, because it started out being something
1: that was sort of a small idea,
2: and, and then how you got involved, just yeah, to give was, a chronology. So
1: you. there was initially a convoy in two thousand and eighteen, uh, and so Tamara was a part of that convoy, and I had met her many years. She explained the back the the backstory of what happened, yeah. and so that was two thousand eighteen went by the by sort of thing, and now two thousand twenty two comes up. People were very frustrated in Western Canada for a whole bunch of reasons. And the mandates and the data tracking app, that was the final draw, right? That the people who, like some of them I met there, their doctors would tell them, I don't think you should get the vaccine, but if I tell you that, I'm gonna lose my license. So you do what you think is right, sort of thing. So it scared a lot of people. And these are people they are cross-border truckers, and this was their livelihood, they didn't know what to do. So a lot of us i mean i'm vaccinated anyways i'm not anti-vax
0: when you say us that's because you're not just a producer you actually own a truck
1: yes yeah i also that, that <laughs> was my side hustle during covid yeah. to get away from the nonsense <laughs> me and my brother who's a police officer that we would go get in our trucks and go to the state so at least we could have a normal civilized dinner sort of thing right. um so anyways it, it it was detrimental to people uh, in the trucking industry, this was the last uh, draw because there are many other things that led up to it. There's many other grievances. And Tamara Leach called me on, I mean, we, us- we usually talk every couple weeks, every month. You know, we become friends over the years. And she called me up. She said, listen, we did this uh, GoFundMe. We're doing another convoy like in 2018. Uh, I need somebody who can do media. And she said to me, <laughs> I love these truckers. But, you know, I can't get some of them in front of the camera. I need somebody who knows, you know, how to articulate a message. And I said, yeah, sure, I can, you know, we'll do uh, press releases and all that sort of stuff. Because I was fed up, too. I just had to use the Arrive Can for the first time. Mm -hmm. And that's the story I told on Tucker Carlson. And, um, yeah, I said, okay, I'm on board and started uh, working on messaging for the convoy.
0: But it was like she she was contacting you because it just got... It was growing exponentially. she was like they were getting way more donations and ultimately what was the, the amount of donations was like 10 million dollars right
1: The total was 23 million and change
0: and the support was years.
2: coming from all over the various world. various like like an array of segments of society, not just simply people who are truckers or more of this grassroots movement there was people who were in law or who were accountants and others so there was there was a broad base of support financially.
1: It was hedge fund managers, yeah. and it was working class people who work uh, in shipping and receiving. Yeah. It was everybody was on. Board it's across the board. Yeah,
0: because the you know, the mandates, you know, aside from just being, uh, you know, the issue of compulsion or something like that. Um, all of the shutdowns and everything, people were losing their livelihoods, their businesses. That's right. And there was no end in sight, you know, you know, for the longest time, I think. And so it was, I, I, I always thought when I was watching the convoy going and all the people coming out to cheer them on, yeah. that it was just the first time that people felt empowered to try and take back their lives again.
1: You know, I got, I got tens of thousands of messages, sometimes tens of thousands of messages a day. And I just couldn't keep up with the inflows. And I remember there was one day I got two identical messages from two women on Twitter. They were different accounts, different people, and they both told me it was was, was weird. The exact same, very similar stories. They both were single mothers. They both had two children. They had fallen into depression, lost their jobs, couldn't afford to feed their children sort of thing and they had been contemplating suicide and the only thing that prevented them from committing suicide was what do i do with my children yeah and then they saw that there were this group of truckers that were going to stand up for us and say something and push back against what in their opinion had destroyed their lives Mm -hmm. and they both said to me the same message thank you for giving me hope
2: had they lost their jobs due to the uh, lockdowns
1: they didn't, specify. Okay. they didn't specify I'm just curious what
0: yeah, yeah. yeah. well there was so much secondary damage <coughs> done aside from the actual you know travesty of the deaths that were caused by the by the pandemic well there's, a, that massive was a, real con- thing. there's a
2: massive contraction of the economy yeah. uh, derailment of many parts of our normal economic and social life plus we saw how it impacted Although there are deaths, there's also issues related to other health issues, you know, yeah, that's right. cessation of operations and testing and all sorts of other factors. Yeah. Of course, I will say there was a lot of unknowns at that time. So yeah. on both sides, I mean, there were people fearing what, what we didn't know, which was harming people. And we happen to know in this office, people who are more elderly who passed away from
0: yeah, these complications issue, related
2: yeah. to COVID, but, but there was a point at that time, where people were quite desperate to say, "Is there an end in sight to this?" and and I felt an underlying tension that their liberty and their rights and their ability to make a living are being taken away.
1: Yeah, and I think you know we hear this argument from both sides who are yelling at each other that uh, oh, you're just afraid to take a vaccine. Everybody had making was making their decisions based on fear. People were afraid to get sick and die, or people are afraid to get sick and die from a vaccine. Which is accurate? Who knows, right? Yeah. But at the end of the day, it's not COVID that crushed people's businesses. It's a government that compelled businesses to shut. We live in a liberal democracy where we should be able to make our own choices for ourselves. And if people wanted to stay home, they could stay home and they shouldn't be punished for that. Well, this brings me to uh, one of the things that I think was really
0: interesting about Mm -hmm. the way you guys conducted the protests and um, some of the decisions made by yourself and and other leaders. Mm And that had to do with the media coverage (laughs) so um (laughs) so so part of the problem is that like you know the media would all be sort of in lockstep and you know this is this is the thing that we believe based on the science and the next thing you know it'd be something different or whatever it's like it it was really difficult to know who to trust and who to believe and then Mm -hmm. people were being silenced and uh the messaging
2: on all ends yeah was extremely challenging as a regular person trying to understand what the messaging was it was difficult from all sides
0: but when you when you started this protest you actually made a decision um, to exclude the legacy media from your press conferences
1: i put messages out that i banned the toronto star i banned the cbc i banned ctv all of them from our press conferences intentionally because there's a couple of reasons the first thing is if we had a press conference and we brought in legacy media What are they going to do? They're going to show up with one of their large camera crews, two or three people. You've been in media scrubs before. You know how it works. They're going to take up a third of the floor space. I almost got trampled
0: by one once, actually. Yeah, (laughs) but you told me that story.
1: They're going to take up half the floor space. And what are they going to do? They're going to call us names, and they're not going to listen to us. And then they're (laughs) not going to get any views. So So why would I do that? It doesn't make sense. Had
0: that already been going on when you made that decision, though?
1: Uh, no no I, I kind of knew ahead of time the the Toronto Star actually put out a couple of what I would say are you know defamatory cartoons mm-hmm. calling us all Nazis that's where this all started this started from the, the media uh, that messaging and once I saw it I thought okay you're done you're out and I just started building a list of pecking order who's not available and the other thing is this was alternatives media ta- alternative media's time to shine mm-hmm. right I've been in the space for a number of years I know how it works I know the players I know. The amount of penetration they have and i figured i put it out on a spreadsheet and i figured we could achieve if this goes well a hundred million views in the first week that's what i was going well for.
0: and there's an interesting situation in canada right now in which there was like media bailouts so a lot of the legacy media the mainstream media have actually received government money and um this came up in in a monk debate um the, the infamous monk debates a very very recent one where they were talking about th- the question was um, can you trust the mainstream media <laughs> and uh, uh, for the proposition was Douglas Murray from the UK a brilliant journalist mm-hmm. and Matt Taibbi who used to be in uh, used to work for Rolling Stone I think but he was yep. grew up in the mainstream media and now he's an independent journalist on Substack and uh, they ended up persuading a huge one of the biggest sways uh, of the audience votes from the beginning to the end they pull them at the beginning and then they pull them at the end yeah. and uh convinced people that the mainstream media they're not saying like they like said don't we're not saying don't read them we're just saying don't trust them solely go and find other sources of uh, information right so um one of the major issues they talked about was the coverage of the convoy the freedom convoy
1: yeah and they 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 meant I think Douglas mentioned me which is I have been a fan of his for years he's a treasure of the United, of the United Kingdom in my opinion but you know it, it harkens back like my whole idea to do this it's, it's not like a new phenomenon new understanding I remember I had this conversation with uh, Peter Kent mm-hmm. uh several years ago and I asked him in a private conversation like what happened to the media when did it turn sour and he said I think it was when we started putting opinion pieces on the front page of the news he said that's when I knew we were going down the wrong direction and this is just an evolution of that process and that's why all you see is opinion journalism veiled as actual news but there's no actual news behind it well I want to hear from like from Joseph because you
0: probably have a better understanding of how this process works but um, a lot of the stuff and the way this went down and this sort of comparison that was being made I think at the time that that Justin Trudeau was trying to claim this was like a January 6th event where the whole government was gonna be overthrown and so he brought in the Emergencies Act and so what we've just you know seen completed although we don't have any decisions yet right is the uh, an inquiry into the emergency yeah Act. so there's
2: and I want to hear your sort of view of how that because you were there for questioning mm-hmm. And uh, I'm I'm curious as to what your view of the questioning was and and the process. But look, I mean, it wasn't a January 6th event. There was no storming of Parliament. I I remember saying something on Twitter about the aftermath with the charges against Merilich and the others and some people getting quite irate against me where I said, you know, there's nothing wrong necessarily with listening. There's nothing wrong with creating a dialogue um, because there is an undercurrent in Canada of people feeling that their rights have gone away. And then the Emergencies Act. Um, what did that mean for Canadians as citizens um, when, when, when there's a protest going on? And and whether you take the position that there was, you know, honking at all hours, whether there was complete disruption in Ottawa, and I think the bridge situation was did have an economic impact. But how do you feel about such a draconian measure, which is really reserved for quite extraordinary? Situations. I mean, it hasn't been enacted in what five decades. So, I mean, it's an extraordinary circumstance. We were in an extraordinary situation at that time. But you know, I'm curious about the questioning because at the core of what I want to get to is: was it fair questioning? Was there a general understanding about what it means to use such an incredible strong power? What it is about taking liberty and 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 um, freedom away from people when that act is 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 used.
0: I think freezing bank accounts was the most
1: stunning of the actions. Well, that,
2: that's part of it. I mean to
1: tell me if somebody had all they, my accounts frozen not just they, they bank immediately accounts
2: everything had accounts frozen from yeah. from not just people who were involved in organizing and participating but also going after some donors <laughs> yeah. which is quite extraordinary without really any sort of a judicious basis there's no judicious basis really uh, to do that. Mm-hmm. Um And I remember saying, you know, money is going to be returned. You can't do that. But these are extraordinary measures against citizens of your own country. So when you went to, you know, this inquiry and there's questioning going on, was there a general sense of something was wrong with the way this was handled from the government side? And whether you view certain things were well done with the protest or not well done or harmful necessarily in some ways. I'm curious about how this was unfolding up there actually during questioning, because we're relying on media as to what was going on during this yeah. this inquiry. I'd like to know your first-hand view.
1: So a couple of things. The first is, you know, the overarching thing about the Emergency Measures Act is, from my point of view, as somebody who, is being there, who was there yeah. and saw that, you know, that tenor, that, that vibe that I was trying to create with our messaging, that it was going to be a Grateful Dead concert. It was. It was. This was Canada's Woodstock moment. It was absolutely amazing to be there, to see those truckers come from Ottawa, from Ottawa, from Quebec and come up Parliament Hill and see uh, supporters and truckers from Alberta and start to hug each other. And they had signs Liberté and Freedom and they're all joking with each other and talking to each other through Google Translate. But finally, all that angst about the West versus Quebec it was gone. That's political nonsense. There was a leprechaun there, too. Yeah, well, he, he was actually, <laughs> I wrote about him in my substat, I I djdictor.substat.com. Very fascinating story. He had yeah. everything frozen, and his bank accounts all canceled. He didn't even have a truck on the premise. And it was a week after everybody left. So, uh, Well, and quite,
0: the, the name leprechaun comes from... Uh, A charity that he was
1: running. That's right. right? That's right. That it was
0: like they called themselves the Leprechauns, and they were helping homeless people and things like that. Yeah,
1: there's there's a lot of that. He was he was I think he's one of the people involved in the the soup kitchen we built. Yeah. Um, So from my perspective, we got uh, Canada's for the Americans. uh, Canada's version of martial law was enacted because there was a bunch of illegally parked trucks. That can't happen. That is turning us into. A third world banana republic, and I've lived in third world banana republics, and not even they would do it. So the incompetency amongst our political class—I'm not going to point at in- individuals—is so so awful at this point that they're dangerous. That's the first thing. But okay. then into the commission itself. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I had, as you can imagine, many people with a lot of angst about the commission. What's happened when they found out that Justice Rouleau was a Liberal Party uh, donor, and he was, you know, he's appointed by the Liberal Party. And I put a, a lot of effort into calming people's nerves. Why? I think when you get to that level in your career, firstly, that you're, you're justice. You're not some schmuck on the street, right? Mm-hmm so
2: and his, he was a very well respected justice when that's the right bench.
1: that's right he was I also, watched some of it and he seemed like he was very even-handed he was also appointed by paul martin and i happen to know there's a lot of friction in the liberal party amongst the martin era liberal, liberals yes and this progressive yes. so right away i said you know what don't don't jump to conclusions just yet but at the same time think about it this way and i think you'll appreciate this because i've learned this sort of yeah. stuff from you okay you're no explaining me how it all works you're a justice you're at maybe getting close to the tail end of your career because i think he's on the court of appeals if i'm not mistaken uh the commission is named after him it's the first commission under this legislation are you really going to sacrifice your legacy for a political party i don't think so no i really don't no no and so i spent a lot of time uh, trying to get people to realize that that this is Justice's Rouleau's legacy. I think he's going to be even-handed and fair. And I think he was. He gave a lot of leeway, gave me a little bit of leeway. He denied my application for standing. Uh, that's because some other people, you know how law is. Yeah, there's yeah. a lot of games behind the scenes. Uh, so I submitted a late application. He denied that. But you know what? We found a loophole. It was called Law 59, where I could request that my lawyer lead me in a few questions if I don't feel my entire perspective was, uh, was communicated. Yeah. And he granted that and he granted leeway to a lot of people. So I think he was quite fair. I think the problem was the whole apparatus was very, very politicized by the lawyers who are supposed to be representing Freedom Corp. One who tried to attack me, who technically through a roundabout <laughs> way is my lawyer as a Freedom Court member, which was crazy. Um, There are a lot
2: of agendas at play.
1: There were 20 people withstanding. One group withstanding was supposed to represent the truckers. The rest represented the government. And they did. We we saw they proved exactly what I thought was happening during the convoy. I explained because my dad worked for the Mm -hmm. government. I know how they work. It's going to be a whole bunch of different administrations and different groups of people in policing and government, municipal, provincial, whatever. They're all going to be doing this. It's his fault, right? They're all going to be saying, oh, it's his, that's not our response. That's not my job and whatever, right? So I said to them during the conference, just let them figure out who needs to talk to us. And then we'll have a peaceful dialogue and everything will figure something out. I'm sure the government's not evil. Even if we disagree with some of their policies, they'll understand that there are massive grievances across the country. And as we discussed before, amongst hedge fund managers, bankers, lawyers, school teachers, and people who work on loading docks. Like everybody is fed up, right? So they're not going to turn away from that.
2: But did you feel that when you were giving testimony, being asked questions, you were given the leeway to be heard?
1: That's a different good question to say yes or no, and I'll tell you why. It's and important
2: was, to me because I think, I know. you know, a commission like this has to give full opportunity to all parties to yeah. be heard.
1: I got a lot of criticism from people because a lot of people didn't understand my testimony they didn't understand this is the interview process but there's 109 pieces of evidence that was also submitted around my testimony so those three hours were just, just a, a general yeah. that's right you know and the commission the commission when i met with john uh the night before explained that to me really nice reasonable guy uh clearly they were just looking for the facts right so some people in the youtube alternative world don't understand it's not a vlog like i just can't just go up there and start talking right they're leading me in questions this is why it was important to get my lawyer to allow a few leading questions for me i was one of the few who had nobody on my side there um so the constraints of a yes no question and answer uh, format was really difficult to get to the heart of what I wanted to to get to. So do I feel like I got the message I wanted? <laughs> Not really, because we tried to dumb it down to three simple points we need to get out there in testimony. We kind of kept trying to go back to it in my question. So you notice they got frustrated with me a little, yeah, bit, a little right? bit. Yeah, a little bit, yeah. Because I'm trying to, like, I know where they're going, but I need the the truth of the matter to get through. Yeah, well, you have
2: to answer the question That's the way right. you think it needs to be answered. Agreed.
1: Agreed. Yeah. So um, that part of it, yeah, I, I would say 50-50. Okay. There's so much more that I could have, that yeah. I would like to expand on. And if I had standing, then I would have been able to lay out the whole, the my whole case. But because I didn't i was somewhat shackled in the process and it was a little bit frustrating so you
0: were you were boots cast on the ground because <laughs> you had a broken foot broken <laughs> uh, yeah uh, yeah um, so you were on the ground there and, and one of the issues they'd be looking at is did they exhaust all other alternative measures before they invoked the emergency act that's one of the key questions is it not
1: Ah, uh, yeah, and they didn't even they didn't try anything. There were no
0: tickets being given out for the
1: first while. That's right. Though, right. That's right. The police were great. We were all the police were were fist bumping. The chief of police said on February third that this requires a, um, a a political solution. This is not a policing problem. And but we had this issue where there were certain groups. We had eleven groups trying to take over the convoy, and I think. You know the legacy media when they say, say anti-vax, it wasn't an anti-vax movement. However, asterisks, I do believe there was money from the U.S. from the anti-vax industry that was trying to take advantage of the protest and you know assert their narrative. But there were a whole lot, a bunch of other groups trying to do the same thing.
0: Well, that's right? an interesting aspect because you were uh, you had official spokespeople and you were one of them, yeah. but there were there was more than just you. But then there were a bunch of other people who arrived to take advantage of. (laughs) Started having their own press conferences, right? Yeah, became a bit unwieldy. So what was that like in terms of trying to contain who was being viewed as a spokesperson? Or you know, do you think it was even possible to prevent other interest groups from taking advantage of the situation?
1: It was frustrating because we woke up, I mean, every morning it started to get, we started getting into a rhythm, some new individual or group or was trying to assert themselves, usually linked to some political party or a fringe political party, whatever would call a press conference. And because I froze out the legacy media, the legacy media was looking for anybody and right. they were stalking me in my hotel room. Right. Um, So those people went and took full advantage of that and try. So we would start every morning. We would find out X person has called a uh, press conference. Okay. Tamara, who's calling the press conference today? She said, I don't know about a press conference. Look, find out who it is. We need to put an end to it. And so we finally got into rhythm. So every morning from like six, seven o'clock when I woke up till 11, 12 o'clock, we were trying to cancel whatever secret press conference with the 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 legacy media that was established. It was infuriating, right? Because the media strategy that we were using worked really effectively, uh, evidenced by the fact that it was all over the world, and they kept disrupting it. And those same people now are asserting themselves, well, we're not talking to legacy media. Like, well, (laughs) during the convoy, you were chasing them. So yeah, it was very frustrating. That's why we set up uh, a board. We set up three command centers. We had one team that was working on security and safety to ensure that all the lanes were open for emergency vehicles. So that's where the police, we had a police and a couple of medics, paramedics that were working within that team. Then there was another team that was doing logistics. If truckers needed problems or they needed fuel or any of that sort of stuff. And then my team was the media team and social media at the Sheridan Hotel. So we tried to do, you know, like aviation, cockpit resource management, division of labor. We tried to do that. But there's so many people that were so obsessed with money, including the media and politicians, were obsessed with the amount of money. And there were a lot of people that were just desperate for fame. And I don't know why. Like, I know some famous people. I know how difficult that life is. That's not something to aspire to. And for me, it was just work. It was wake up, okay, 6.30, you go get coffee for all of us. We're gonna start interview this day and then a press conference, okay, let's deal with that. And then I had it, I just like was a machine as many interviews as I could, cause I was in a wheelchair. Yeah. I couldn't go out and talk to people on the ground. So like. You know, that's that's how we operated. There's and an
0: interesting aspect of, in terms of the um, actions that were taken. One, they cut off gas. They wanted trucks to leave, but they cut off gas. So I, I was always yeah. unclear how are the trucks going to leave if they have no gas. Yeah. Uh, but they, they cut off, cutting off the money. We've had situations like this in, in different cases yeah. where somebody who's accused of something but not convicted, has all of their assets suddenly frozen, taken away? Well, there's away, a couple so.
2: aspects to it. So there's a, there's some types of offenses prior to a trial that people are charged with where even if you don't have assets frozen, so typically in, a, in an, interp- an organized crime type of case, even if it's human trafficking or drug-related, you can have assets frozen ahead of time. That's one thing. But what's more insidious is when charged with certain offenses um, notices have gone to banks um, because there was production orders it's a type of search warrant that goes to a bank and the bank shuts down accounts of these people who are charged uh, and have not been found guilty and may not be found guilty so their accounts are shut down their mortgages are called in their lines of credit are called in so they become you know refugee bank refugees and financial yeah. refugees yeah. and there's no and there's nowhere to go yeah. because all that information is shared amongst the financial industry so these people are <laughs> and and very similarly when they want to clamp down on these people they are they are going after them financially which is extremely egregious um, you know this is where you talk about freedom of speech our right to protest
0: well it's almost we're like gonna, a right to life and liberty away. because if you freeze all of somebody's assets, you can't even feed yourself. Right, but I but couldn't get not,
2: medicine for my ankle. Yeah. yeah. And, and and it's not so much as freezing, it's taking away. So you're co opting the independent financial infrastructure to to um, do the bidding to some extent of government policy. And for what we face in criminal criminal law policy, which I find highly troubling, especially when you consider the presumption of innocence or what your constitutional rights are. That's something we don't hear talked they, about very much at all. They actually have to
0: bring applications in court in order to get access to some of those funds to pay for if it's frozen, fees. If it's
2: frozen. To pay for lawyer fees. But you can't do anything about a bank shutting your line of credit right. down, your mortgage, or your, or your actual accounts. You can do nothing about that. So if banks shut you down, that's their right, and that's the end of it.
1: And, you know, just to add to the, you you may not know this story. I think you do. I think we told, told you this when my accounts were frozen and just so we're very clear, it was my bank accounts, corporate accounts, uh, lines of credit, credit cards, everything was frozen. And in one uh, case of one bank, my, I just no longer existed. I went to log in. My IDs were no longer active apparently. So sometime in, I can't remember if it was April, maybe. (laughs) I was trying to figure out if I could actually wire you
0: money just so you could eat. <laughs> well, you, <yeah. laughs> and I was just like, if I wire you money, am I going to get my accounts frozen? That was, it, was, it was a scary time.
1: Yeah. So the, um, there were these parliamentary commissions that were, hearings that were called, right? The subcommittees among parliamentarians and stuff. And it came, I was watching these, you know, on the, si- you know, from the sidelines, waiting. Because what I did during the, when my bank account was frozen, is i think i might have cc'd you on these emails yeah i sent an email to my bank saying why is my account frozen under what legislation what law whatever and one bank responded and people didn't understand they thought i was attacking that bank that was scotia bank i was trying to give them credit because at least they had occurred at least they wrote back yeah absolutely and what they did is they inferred if you read between the lines that it was the government now i held on to that why because during these hearings, yes. Krista Friedland made the statement of, oh, well, we didn't force them. The banks did it on their own accord. Yeah. And that's all like, I'm going to get you. Pulled out the email, called a journalist I know, said, let's do an article on my Substack. And the next thing I know is pe- picked up by Daily Wire and then Zero Hedge and Jordan Peterson and put it out there. And then all of a sudden, uh oh, and that narrative uh, stopped really quickly. Uh, but that's the insidious oh. nature of some of these people. Yeah, that was
2: a very bad narrative for the government to put out. I mean, it's, <laughs> well, this was not the banks acting on their own right. accord. This that's was.
0: Right. I, right. I didn't have a chance to watch all of the testimony, um, <laughs> but uh, I did actually watch some of Trudeau's um, testimony and and in cross examination, he denied calling protesters misogynists yep. and racists. I'm apparently a
1: neo-Nazi <laughs> Jew, but he seems to forget that.
0: Yeah, I don't know. It was, it was interesting. There, there was just so much stuff At least stuff he going showed on. up. Yeah, I mean, you know, Doug, well, but,
1: Doug is just as bad, right? Yeah,
2: like, yeah. I, I, you know, i got to be honest. You know, I'm, I'm no fan of our prime minister, but mm-hmm. um, whether you like his politics or not, whether you like his answers or not, he showed up and he answered questions.
1: Agreed. And you can tell when he was prepped. It, he was well prepped. He was well prepped, yeah.
2: Because his messaging was on point for what he wanted to say. But yeah. he showed up and he answered questions.
1: That's right. Wasn't and, there a yeah. fight
0: for documents, though?
1: Uh, redactions, yeah, 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 there
2: were redactions, but yeah. but he showed up to testify. And and our premier, um, you know, was successful on quashing the invitation to attend, uh, on the base of parliamentary privilege. And he succeeded. And, and I think it was the right decision by the court. I'm yeah. not so sure it was the right politically because no, no, no. it would be nice to hear. Mm-hmm. And if you're in support of what Justin Trudeau did at the time, our prime minister, yeah. then come out and say it. And I think the public needs the transparency Transparency. um and and maybe questions could be you know there could be some negotiation but at least he showed up
1: well knowing what i knew know what was going on behind the scenes and without getting into the details that they uh it's his administration that meddled with the convoy uh that he couldn't have showed up like you think his career is his political career is bad right now if he had to testify it would have been nuked at that point Right, just I think all
2: politicians careers right now are in trouble given the state of, state of a lot of things. Including there's a
1: couple
0: of bills that, um, you know, one, one's been, um, you know, enacted now and uh, there's another one still on the table that I, th- I think are kind of related to this, uh, the issues that came up with the convoy and your rights to protest and all this other stuff. And also this cutting down on freedom of speech and the ability for people to communicate with each other. And do things like organize a convoy so so one of the ones that um, that you know has has been going on for a while and it's not yet passed um, it was Bill C 11 Mm -hmm. online streaming act this is a thing in Canada where they want to regulate under the you know CRTC I think it is um, that they want to be able to regulate people who are online streaming who are running YouTube channels, who are doing podcasts and things like that, that the content should be monitored and subject to rules that would apply to mainstream media and so on, right? Yeah. And um, so it's so serious and, 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 and this is important to talk about because um, when I went on YouTube just like a couple of days ago, YouTube actually, noticed I was from Canada and gave me a little pop-up saying do you know about Bill C 11 and they actually have Google has, has put out some news content to inform people about it and how serious it is because they're saying it will change our ability to suggest content to you so when we think about like China and how if you go to China you can't actually find things you know on the internet in China because they have all these filters and so on this is kind of the sense you know some people are saying it's not that bad, but um, you know, if this kind of legislation goes through, it would dramatically affect, I think, the ability to organize something. Like, because-
2: First of all, and, and, and what's from a, disinf- and from what's a, a producer standpoint, a media standpoint who wants to get alternative messaging out where you know, you're offering another perspective, yeah. how do you feel about it?
1: You know, when I came out of the commission, when I finished testi- my testimony, Uh, I walked by, there was some media there, but my my brain was tired. I was not in the mood for questions. So I walked outside and in front of the building, there was a woman with um, a pride flag and honk, honk, calling us terrorists. And she saw me. Oh, she knew who I was. Benji, the terrorist. Benji is it's a yelling at me, terrorist, 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 terrorist. So I pulled out my phone. I turned on my Instagram and I said, uh, you know, good morning, everybody just finished. Uh, And I just want to make sure everybody understands uh, what the Freedom Convoy was fighting for was her right to free speech, as well as ours. She's probably a wonderful person. I think she's confused, but she should be allowed to say whatever she wants, just like we all should be. And I think that's very important. Now. I'm a free speech absolutist I know you're not, but I'm you're not. close yeah, to. Them. I know I am but I, I'm I, close <laughs> I'm close I understand yeah. but I do understand your perspective like it you know it, it's it's a complicated issue but it I'm, is. I'm on the because we're, side.
2: we're because in my opinion we're at a dangerous stage of of our existence where we see certain type of speech to be really really insidious but I'll leave it at that
1: I know but, but and for but, me it's like my free speech allows me to challenge that right and that's thats if, if you have the forum. You know. But Counter now speech, we all have I think the forum, because we have the internet. But some people Everybody will pay attention
2: to us, and some people well, won't. Well, we currently
1: and... have the
0: internet, but this is the well, And, and, this, and, is and, the and this is the
1: concern so, now, yeah. is
2: what, what, what our ability will be to respond.
1: So from what I understand, C- C11 has already been massively picked apart in the Senate. And it was They're being very back. cautious about it, is my understanding. That's so, right. So, Thankfully, thankfully. Let's Not that I have a lot of faith in the political process, but let's do what we can and give them a chance. And hopefully wisdom will prevail. But yeah, it's very, very concerning. It
0: relates back to what we were talking about earlier, where you actually disallowed the legacy media and you wanted to promote the the, the lesser known media, media, the alternative media. So this bill would potentially prevent that from happening, that being effective.
2: Alternative media would be highly scrutinized. A podcast like ours could be highly
0: scrutinized. Well, everybody, you know,
1: exactly. everybody would use VPNs like China, but that's the problem, that's what we're becoming. And one of the and comments you know,
0: I saw from one of the, the members of parliament was, well, we're not trying to censor cat videos. But <laughs> that's, that's a long way to go. Diana, who, Diana, Diana Davis gives a, gives a video
2: producer. <laughs> who gives a But you know what's wow. interesting, and, 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 and when you say it, because in Canada, you know it, it goes through parliament, then goes to our Senate. Yeah. And the Senate is, from what little I've been able to read and you're reading, is trying to really deal with it.
0: Thankfully they're they're scrutinizing it very closely. But but
2: what's unique about our Senate? It's not elected. These were partisan appointments of people who are not politicians, not lawyers, not they could be journalists, they could be any number of people from any walks of any walk of life and they get appointed to the Senate for I forgot whatever the term is now it used to be life but Mm -hmm. I don't know if it's changed and and there was this move to abolish the Senate because it's not elected. Well you know what? You yeah, don't ask what you don't want. Like you know, I, I, in some respects, frankly, having a check that's non-allegiant to a voting segment may actually do us some help in these cases.
0: Well, I find it really striking. Is that odd
2: when we talk about democracy and liberty? But I, I find
0: it very striking that that Google and, and uh, YouTube finds this so. Scary that they're actually flagging it and putting. Well, pop-ups. they
2: make big bucks <laughs> off of YouTube and and, and Google. Model. This yeah. is their business. So they model, have like so. a,
0: a little blog about it. Um But the other one is so one of our transcriptionists actually sent me a a, a little text message. Shout saying out to Helena. Helena, she's great. Um, Bill C one hundred, uh keeping Ontario open for business oh, act twenty twenty two.
1: You know what I'm talking
0: about. <laughs> so oh, they wow. they immediately the made opposite. sure you couldn't. You couldn't uh, do another convoy.
1: It's basically taking the emergency power. Because remember, everybody complains about Justin Trudeau. And this is why the conservatives get angry at me, because they behave like a cult. Doug Ford enacted the Emergency Measures Acts on the provincial level two days before Justin Trudeau. And now he's introduced Bill C-11, which is those emergency powers, permanently.
0: 100. C- C- 100. Sorry, C-100. 100. 100.
1: Permanently. And i try to explain to my friends on that side of the aisle you're not going to like that when you have a justin trudeau type figure on the provincial level how do you think that's going to play out and it's just everybody just says well something. it may be
2: enacted we'll see if it's challenged because that may right. succeed as as well as he succeeded in trying to deal with uh, imposing a contract on uh, yeah. teaching assistants so
0: but for now for for people who want to get the the deep inside story on what happened uh on the ground in honking for Freedom. Yeah, Honking for Freedom. Benjamin Dichter. Benjamin
1: Dichter. Honkingforfreedom.com. And leave a review. And leave a review for this podcast, too. Like, share, and subscribe. <laughs> and hit notifications. Thank hit you, BJ, for coming.
2: All right, brother. This Thank you very much. Wonderful.